Um, last week, uh, who was here last week? Sweet, can anybody tell me what we looked at last week? Acts 10. What's that? What's in Acts 10? It's amazing. Um, it's really, it, was a re- it was Ali last week, right? That was a really good summary. It was Ali last week, and uh, effectively, I'm going to talk about it quite a bit tonight, but effectively, uh, Peter uh, has this vision that uh, it's, it's like a picnic blanket comes down from heaven, and he opens it up, and there's all this food in it. And uh, I'm going to talk about it a little bit more, but what I'd love to do is today, I'm just going to be talking about the first part of Acts 11, which is just Acts 11's 1 to about 19. Um, if you've got the, I've put some Bibles out. I would really love it if you could follow with me. I know it's so much easier to, to take it in when we follow together. And uh, look there, put a, um, a receipt in here from the Fox and Hounds to mark my place. That's uh, beautiful. Apparently I spent quite a bit of money. <laughs> More than I should. On lasagna and chips, actually. So it was, it was nice. I'll give you a moment. So that's Acts 11, uh, verse is 19. And uh, what you'll see now is, uh, and I'm going to give you a little bit of context just before I read it, is that uh, all the accounts of Acts 10 have just happened. So Peter has this vision of this blanket and God says, eat and kill the things in the, in, on this blanket. Um, and he says, no, um, how could you ask me to kill and eat something that's, that's unclean uh, because he was Jewish? And, uh, he, and uh, but that's the story. And what, what you're reading now, about to read, is him uh, retelling what has just happened um, in his own words, in, in his, from his own perspective, uh, to a group of people that have heard the story and are criticising him. Got it? You with me? Sweet. Let's read it together. So Acts 11, uh, verses, um, uh, I just, verses 1 to 19. So the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles would also receive the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticised him and said, you went to the house of the uncircumcised men and ate with them. And Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying and and was in a trance and I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners. I call it a blanket. And it came down to where I was. And I looked into it and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles and birds of the air. And then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And the voice from heaven spoke a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me, Um, to have no hesitation about going with them. And these six brothers also went with me, and we entered a man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, 
Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit um, came on them, and, and he had come on us uh, as he had come on us in the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could ever oppose God? And when they heard this, they had no further objections. And praise God, saying, so then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. It's an amazing, an amazing, um, if it's the first time you're reading it, I hope you, you'll have a, a bit of an understanding about it tonight, but it's just an amazing moment, and I hope you'll capture that as I talk. Um, me and Abby, uh, we, we were on holiday last week, and we just were, were, we were so blessed we were able to get a week uh, away in Tenerife, and it was uh, 23 degrees, so it's a shock coming back to, we got off the aeroplane into zero degrees, and um, I tell you what, I adapted very quickly. I forgot that it could be so cold. And uh, when we were out there on one of the evenings, we were just in a super hyper mood. And uh, people must have thought we were super weird. And uh, it was a mixture of German people. Uh, well, it was German, it was German, French, yeah, mainly German and French. So there weren't that many English people. So they must have just thought, look at these English weirdos. Um, and we were like bouncing around the place, jumping around the place. And uh, we decided we sat, Abby's like, like looking really embarrassed now, but I, I'm, I'm not painting a very good picture. We were galloping around the hotel. And uh, no, we, we sat down and in the evening, there's like a, it's like they call it the show bar. And it has a stage and, and like coffee tables and chairs around. And every single evening, there's a different show. And uh, for, it's, the show starts uh, at half past nine, but for some reason, because we're super keen, we would get there at eight o'clock. So an hour and a half early, because between 8 and 8.30, they do the kids' work. And it's so fun. And they have, what's that song? It goes, uh, has anyone ever heard it? It goes, to do a to do a to do a wa wa No? It's in a different language. It's in, I'm pretty sure it's in Spanish. And uh, we would sit there, and all of the other adults in the room were sort of like on their phones. About three children were on the dance floor doing this. And we were sat in our chair going, like <laughs> this. we were just loving it. But um, on this one particular evening, they didn't do the children's work. Um, because there weren't any children. And uh, we were sat there like, come on, where's the song? And uh, so we came up with a game. And I wonder, has anyone ever done this? Um, I'm so guilty for this. People watching. Yeah? We only people watchers in the room that just... It's fa no, we all watch each other. It's fascinating, isn't it? And uh, it's even more fascinating when you decide with the person next to you that the game is to guess what you think their career is. And we sat there for an hour and a half going, what about him? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, doctor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, priest. 
Like, and we were just sat there judging, and it was, it was like, we, we, and then what was weird was the next morning we had woken up and we had quite a bit of time to spare, and, um, and we were just sort of sat in a different area of the hotel doing exactly the same thing. So lots of people had weird English people staring at them, and uh, I tell you what, we were pretty transfixed on some people, because I was sort of looking at them thinking, oh, I just can't work it out. You look like you could be a doctor, but you could also be anything really and that's the thing isn't it because when we people watch we actually we don't really know who we're looking at I mean um, people often uh, um, look at me and uh, if they know a little bit about my story often it shocks people because they they look at me and they think you know, I, I would say that I was fairly well dressed and 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 uh, fairly well spoken I hope I, uh, I know I'm not the the icon of fashion that some of you are but you know, I like this jumper. And uh, but some people, they, 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 you look at someone and you just assume that's what someone's like and actually they're something completely different. And uh, so that's a, a, a slightly off topic, but often, in, so now bringing it, bringing it into, into our faith, I suppose, often we live with like these preconceived ideas about the people that God calls us to go and, and reach for him. We all know that the gospel is for everyone, I hope. But how often do we subconsciously and sometimes even consciously sink into a pattern of thinking that the people we're called to go after look a little bit like us? Or maybe that we wait for people to come to us with a question. And when they ask us a question, we tell them about Jesus. Or I believe um, 100% that our lives are meant to reflect the message we believe in. Um, uh, like the famous quote uh, that's attributed to Francis Assisi, uh, of Assisi, which uh, is, uh, I'm sure you might know it, preach the gospel at all times and use words as necessary. Have you heard that one? There's debate about whether it was actually him that said it or not, but I think it was. It's like that our lives will tell other people and, and prompt other people to ask questions about why is that person different? And I wonder if, if you're like me, I, I am, I'm often quite a critical person and, and that's why I enjoyed this game at the hotel, because I really got to dig my mind into what I thought people were like. But I've, I wonder if you have ever wondered whether your life actually has that impact. That I've often wondered whether my life is sticking out enough, because often I don't get people asking me why I'm different. And often I worry it's the other way around too, that if I stick out too much, people will ask me an uncomfortable question. And some of those are some of the thoughts that, I, 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 that just came straight to mind as I was reading this passage. And I hope you'll pick up, um, uh, as I'm continuing, why I've just said that. You see, God encourages us to be bold, to be adventurous risk-takers. Risk-takers that go after the people that the, what the rest of the world doesn't. To go after the people that are unloved. And to go after the people that are hard to love, to the most broken and the most hurting. 
and to live in a way that is uh, open and generous, not just because it's the right thing to do, good Christian principles, but because it's exactly what our Father has done for us first. The passage of Acts through uh, Acts 10 through to 11 um, makes it clear, to me anyway, that unconditional love, um, this uncompromising grace, and life in abundance is for all who choose to believe in Jesus. It's regardless of who they are, of where they come from, of their ethnicity, their social class, their housing, their diet, their health, their friends, their addictions, their issues, and all of life's complications. That the good news of Jesus is for everyone. Last week, um, uh, we, uh, we looked at Acts 10, and uh, you see this amazing moment uh, where Peter has this vision, where it's almost as if his theological thinking and his theological understanding is completely turned upside down. Peter was a devout Jew, and... Uh, and uh, we know this because uh, he was waiting for the Messiah to come, because he followed Jesus when he was called. We know that he paid temple tax. We know that he worshipped in the temple following the resurrection. We know that he continued to struggle between the rituals of the Jewish law and of the, the new freedom in Christ. And uh, so Peter was a devout Jew. And, and what you see in, in Acts 10 is this moment where he's up on the top of a roof and he's, um, he's praying, and he sees this vision. And the vision is of, a, it is, it, he says it's like a sheet that comes down from heaven, and it sits before him, and as it unfolds, in it are all these foods that he cannot eat. Uh, I see it like uh, someone's raising down like a little picnic blanket. And uh, if you know me, and you know me in my normal life at the moment, um, I've, uh, uh, been, uh, I've got really high cholesterol. I was diagnosed just before Christmas with really high cholesterol. And I've been banned from, from gluten and wheat and, uh, uh, and, and red meat. And uh, so I see this picnic blanket coming down and a Big Mac and large fries. And, uh, but for him as a Jew, it was these are the foods on the blanket that he is forbidden to have as a Jew. Pork. And God says, eat it. Eat it, Peter. And Peter is utterly horrified. Surely God cannot be asking me to eat something that literally is not kosher. It was against his Jewish traditions. It was against the law because they were unclean. And as uh, what we discovered last week is that God just says this, this line, and this line is so key for what I just want to, if you leave with anything tonight, it's this sentence. is, don't say that something is unclean that I have said is clean. And then the Lord tells him that some people are going to take him to, uh, to Caesarea where he will tell the good news to, to Gentiles. The Gentiles are not Jews, they are unclean people. And that's unheard of. In uh, Acts chapter 8, Philip um, preaches in Samaria. And you see, the, Samar the, Samaris oh, the Samaritans, I was going to call them then. The Samaritans can actually trace uh, their lineage and their heritage all the way back to, to Abraham. And so Peter could understand this. 
Oh, they can trace themselves back to Abraham so I can get my head around how they might be part of God's salvation plan. But Gentiles, this is like for him in this moment so foreign that God might suggest that the gospel, that his message of salvation is for all people, even the unclean ones. Peter at this time um, didn't have what we have, you know, this wonderful Bible that we can see the big picture. And for him at this moment, he had to take a massive leap of trust in God and go somewhere completely unknown to do something completely unheard of. Something that he has been told his whole life he can't do. Eat a meal with unclean people. We know the outcome of this if you were to read Acts Acts 10, we know that uh, the Gentile Cornelius, what a wonderful name, and his Gentile family and his, his household, the Holy Spirit moves powerfully and they all choose to follow Jesus. Some theologians uh, call this moment, um, it's like the, the Gentile Pentecost or the second outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's a fabulous moment. So Peter eats with these Gentiles. And uh, what I love in the story, if you, if you read it, it says that uh, he is telling them the message of Jesus. And before he's even finished, the Holy Spirit moves. And that's really awesome. That's really cool. News travels fast. And news um, obviously didn't travel as fast as it could today, and not just a text message, but it still makes its way back to Jerusalem quicker than Peter can. And uh, so he goes back to his home church, and he's probably buzzing at what had just happened, that he had seen these Gentiles um, uh, uh, give their lives to Jesus. It was like fresh revelation. This is brand new. And what does he get when he returns home? And this is where we hit Acts 11. We get criticism and accusations. You hit this moment in Acts 11 where people are criticising him for, for eating with these unclean people. And then you get this wonderful retelling uh, of, of, of what had just happened in chapter 10. And it's all from Peter's perspective. The amazing thing, and, and this is something that I just picked up from it, was that um, I just noticed that Peter in this, in, the, in, 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 this, in this story doesn't seem to enhance his role in the amazing events that were taking place. He explains that it's halfway through his explanation about the gospel that the Holy Spirit moves. That God fell, call, causing Cornelius... And his household to speak in tongues is actually what it says. And I love it because what it says to me about this testimony is, I, I don't know about you, but if I was just, if I was down the street and I was just chatting to some people on the road about Jesus and I hadn't even got to the cross yet and the Holy Spirit fell and they started speaking in tongues and prophesying and whatnot, I would like to hype up my role in the story a little bit. <laughs> I stood there and I, I preached it. I preached it so hard, God paid attention.
but he doesn't do this. He actually just says, you know, I, I was just telling it and halfway through telling it, bam, the Holy Spirit came. This really brings me just to the little thought that I have for today. And what I'm, we're going to do at the end is, is just uh, get into little groups um, of the people that are around you. And, and I've just got a couple of questions that uh, just hope provoke some, some thinking. But wouldn't it be amazing if we saw some stuff like this happening? That if we all went out into our week this week and uh, into work, into wherever we find ourselves... And uh, we're just talking to them and, oh, do you know what, um, perhaps church comes up as a subject and then you start telling them and before you even finish your sentence, it's like, bam, and they fall to their knees and the Holy Spirit comes and they start prophesying, speaking in tongues. Not because of anything we've done, but because of the Holy Spirit. Um, there was this funny moment for me um, a couple of years back. Uh, I was part of, a, does anyone know Bath City Church? Yeah, there's a couple of couple of people. The Bath, me and Abby uh, were from Bath originally, and our old church before we were here was Bath City Church. And there was a big conference, and the conference was all about prayer and prophecy. And uh, I'm a bit of a nutter, to be honest. So I, I, I take I, I take uh, I take some ideas and I do push them a little bit to to the to the extreme. And uh, they had just finished a session about the importance of just praying for people. That was the session. Everybody went out to lunch, um, and I had a packed lunch, which is, is, I don't know why I had a packed lunch, but everyone else was going out to like Nando's and stuff. Um, so everyone else went out, and I was in this room called the ballroom, and it's the most beautiful room. It's literally a ballroom, so the floor is wooden, and it's got this amazing architecture, and see, it's really art deco, and it's completely empty, all set up for a conference. And I go over and I've got my, I don't know what sandwich it was, but probably a ham and cheese sandwich, knowing me. And I, I lean here like this, and it's like actually the window's like this. And I lean sort of like this, looking out the window. And we're like two stories up. And uh, if you know, do you, send it, put your hand up if you know Bath, uh, and the, the centre of Bath. So for those that know it, for those that don't picture it, uh, I'm looking down from two stories onto the high street, and you've got McDonald's on your left here, you've got a new look here, and, I'm, and, you, and you can see Good sort McDonald's of... Well. Yeah, McDonald's, it's fabulous. And uh, I really recommend McDonald's. And I'm looking down on all these people, Bath is busy, it's a Saturday. And I look out this window, and I get this idea in my head, and I have no idea where it came from. Um, it's one of my crazy ideas. I decided that for the rest of my time that I was attending Bath City Church, I would come to this very window and I would look out and I would pray on unsuspecting members of the public that the Holy Spirit would come and that they would fall to their knees. No word of a lie, that was the decision I made in my head. And I got three days in, it didn't happen, and I gave up. That's the story! <laughs> I'll leave you with that. But I assume, and, and I assume, and I, I, no, no, it's, it's good, isn't it? A nice blunt ending. And uh, see, it's beautiful. Um, I wish I could tell you here today that on my third day of praying, I, I laid my hand on the window on that unsuspecting group of tourists, and they all just bam. It didn't happen. I'd love it to happen. But I assume um, that if you're anything like me, if you're critical in any way, I wonder if I'm crazy to believe that these things can actually happen. That things like what we're seeing in the book of Acts, like this moment with Peter, can happen today. I read this um, 
this quote, do you know uh, Pete Gregg, founder of the 24-7 prayer movement? Yeah, 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 we know him. And uh, I read this quote on, um, actually on, on New Year's Day, and he, he had posted it on Facebook um, at, on New Year's Eve. So it's a New Year's Eve post. <clears throat> and this is what it says, and, and I just think it's, I think for, for this sort of subject, Acts, it just hits the nail on the head with the sort of, is it crazy to think that we can do this today? And here we go, so it says this. So New Year's Eve. On this night, 280 years ago, everything changed. John and Charles Wesley gathered with 60 others in Fetter Lane, London, to pray in the New Year. And at 3am, as quoted in John Wesley's journal, quote, the power of God came mightily upon us. And here we have the defining moment which ignited what people call the Great Awakening and thereby rewrote history of both Britain and America over the following century. It repopulated dying churches, broke the cycles of poverty, established three education and microfinance systems. I don't know what a microfinance system is. It's very good. It's very good. Very good. It led to the abolition of slavery. It inspired more than 6,000 hymns. It liberated the church from the control of the state. It raised a generation of ordinary men and women as preachers and pastors. It launched the Methodist Revolution in England, akin to the one taking place in France. Let's say this as clearly as I can. I firmly believe that all this can happen again. And he finishes by quoting Habakkuk 3 verse 2, which says this, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord, and repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And I just got me thinking. It just got me thinking. This is my honest belief that... Christians are not better looking than non-Christians. Some of us are. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I even waited for a pause then, just wanted that to sink in. So, we're not better with fashion than non-Christians. Some of us are. We're not more intelligent. We're not better in any way than the thing that truly defines us and sets us apart is the fact that when we choose to follow Jesus, his Holy Spirit is with us, in us, and is shaping us. And that is my true belief. I think one of the challenges that we have today is this. Are we prepared to go to the places that others are not? Are we willing to love the ones in our society that society finds hard to love? Are we willing to open ourselves up to ridicule, slander and abuse because we believe that the gospel is for everyone? You know that the church doesn't believe in this word marginalised. Marginalised, well, uh, I said that really wrong. Marginalised in terms of um, society is always making it really clear who is on the edges. But the church is the one that's meant to grab the people on the edges and pull them in. 
I genuinely believe that when we step out in love, it, it's, it's in an extreme love, and that we make the unloved one of our priorities, we begin to see the Holy Spirit move and hearts begin to be transformed. But I think there's a key here, and this is, this is a key, is that we can go out into the world and we can do all this wonderful, amazing stuff. But unless we are acknowledging that it's the Holy Spirit in us that defines us and defines what we're doing, then things are just simple actions. And it's the Holy Spirit that transforms people. It's the Holy Spirit that transforms us. It's the Holy Spirit that will transform our world. Our call is to be a people who go to the places that others won't. It's to be a people that acknowledge it's very little to do, about, uh, to do with us and everything to do with Jesus. To be a people who risk everything for the sake of one person. Because we know that that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. What I read in this passage is, is, uh, is the moment that the church realises that the message of Jesus and salvation isn't just for a few people. That it's for anybody. Anyone and everybody. Is that okay? Cool. Let me pray. Lord Jesus.